Hello and welcome back to another episode of Our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Willemore and this week I am just joined by Dan Lambert. Dan, evening. Good evening, how are you? Good on my end, how are you? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Good, good. Uh, so QPR lost again after getting themselves into a good position last Saturday against Cardiff. So as always, we will dissect what went wrong beyond the average analysis of they scored more goals than us. And then because we are eternal optimists and there isn't really much point in getting worked up over the football, to be honest, we will look to our trip to Luton this Sunday, which Dan is incredibly excited about because he gets to wax lyrical about Nathan Jones for about 20 minutes or so. But before all that, let's talk about Cardiff. Um, You're at the game, Dan. This was gutting, really, wasn't it? Um, yeah, frustrating more than anything. Um, first half, um, we didn't look brilliant, but we looked fairly, fairly decent. Um, some promising attacks, some good, good chances available. And then second half kind of, kind of went to pot really in like the space of five, 10 minutes towards the end. Um, and then it was kind of like a, an uphill battle from there. So yeah, frustrating result. Would you say that this is, um, was it similar to any of our other performances throughout the season? Because I know that the sentiment on Twitter is that we're not playing well enough at the moment, but then you could argue we haven't really played well throughout the season. And the thing that we've said quite a few times is we haven't quite hit our stride and at some point we are and we're going to thrash a team. And it did happen against Reading eventually. But is this one of those games where perhaps our luck ran out a bit? Um, possibly, possibly. I mean... We we knew we knew before the game generally that Cardiff would be happy to sit in. Um, that proved um, proved um, the point or most of the game really. Um, I mean, first half they didn't really um, press out of their shape. They were just happy to sit, and then second half after they got the two goals, obviously they were going to sit and um, and cling on to the lead. So we knew it was going to be frustrating in terms of breaking them down and our struggles and breaking sides down late. Um, but second half just wasn't wasn't really good enough. It was almost a almost a reverse of what we what we've known to be this season. Obviously, slow starts first, and then out of the block second. Um, so it was really an opposite to that. Yeah, let's look at the team then that lined up against Cardiff at the weekend. Marshall came in for Sally Diang as expected. Johansson missed out with illness, I believe, and so did Austin. He didn't come off he was would have been on the bench I guess uh and Gray and all of a sudden Lee Wallace now unless I've missed something Lee Wallace came out a bit of nowhere am I right in saying that um I mean I knew he's in contention to play but I probably was expecting McCallum to start over him just purely on the basis that McCallum had some minutes in the under 23s and against um Blackburn um so you just I suppose on the flip side um Wallace was only out for probably a week or so, so bringing the minutes in wasn't perhaps a necessity compared to McCallum, who was out for a longer time. Yeah, I guess there's just been a bit more noise around McCallum's return, but it certainly felt like it just sort of took me by surprise. All of a sudden, he was there. I feel like we've heard less about injuries and stuff like that this season. I don't know whether the club's been a little bit tighter on it, but you know, the ongoing Dyke situation, I haven't really heard much about when he's going to be fit and stuff like that 
Um, a bit, maybe a bit the same there. But anyway, uh, Adoma was also out, and Moses switched from the uh, left to the right wing back position. What do you think of the team when it got first got announced? I mean, the first thing that springs to mind for me is that we've actually got a striker. Yeah, no, that was um, that was pleasing. Um, in terms of the lineup, I think it was fairly self-explanatory, bar perhaps the wing back areas, obviously. Hendrickson starting, I don't know how many games he's starting in the row now, I think it's three or four. Um, uh, so I kind of knew that if Johansson, well, we, I didn't know about the Johansson illness, but um, with that being uh, said, Hendrick was likely to to play anyway. Um, and then, yeah, the, the rest of the team was pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Hendrick is someone that's come in for a bit of criticism now recently, hasn't he, on Twitter, that he... When when he first came in, it was replace Johansson with Hendrick. Now the st- thing that I'm seeing a lot is Hendrick's holding up the progress of Dazelle and Amos, which people seem to suddenly care a lot about them. Uh, well, I, I, in, fairness, in fairness to me, I said I know what you're going to say. Yes, yeah. yes, no, no, we no. know. We all remember Dan. We all remember I, you no, saying at the start, it's though. just gonna. It's, it's the average fickle Twitter fan, though, isn't it? Um, it's like opinions change one week to the next or a game to the next. Um, the, I'm not, I'm not so um, critis- critical of his quality per se because, um, like Wharton said a few times, he's he's been he's been playing the Premier League for for I don't know the last good, good amount of years. But um, yeah, but I don't it, it just mean, doesn't I really mean make sense. No, with no disrespect, but for Newcastle when they had zero investment. I mean, they. I can't remember when they bought him, but it wouldn't have been. It was. It can't have been that long ago. He's not quite. No. I mean, he. The fact that he's. I know he's played in the Premier League, but you wouldn't say that he's sort of outstanding Premier League quality. I haven't oh, seen no, anything no, no. so far to suggest that. Because otherwise, he'd be playing like. for Newcastle. He's very much the Steve no, yeah, Bruce yeah. signing, isn't he? But I don't. I don't think. I don't think the drop down, particularly for his. His probably quality is is that is that big. Um, it just didn't really make sense when he signed because of the fact like um, people are saying now we've had Amos Dazelle, um, all right, Dumbles in there if we need him. It just it kind of jeopardizes the development of Amos and Dazelle in particular, like short to medium term. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't really feel all right. We've had a small sample size, but it doesn't really feel like the signing of Hendrick is bringing us that quality that we've obviously signed him for instantly. Yeah. Um, what, what would you say that he kind of needs to improve on if there is going to be anything that he needs to improve? Um, oh, that's, 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 a, that's a hard question. I mean, for me, he has a lot of aspects to his game, but they don't feel like he has one particular standout aspect if that makes sense like you, you see Sam Field obviously he's, he's more of a number six where he, he'll win back the ball he's, he's he can play a pass a uh, progressive pass you know you know what you're going to get from his role same with Johansson obviously he creates from deep doesn't really feel like Hendricks create much from deep in that in that kind of more advanced um, midfield role uh, he, he just to me he seems like kind of like a a well-rounded like seven out of ten in every every type of attribute. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
the first half, I remember you sending me a message saying that Hugo was bullying us a little bit. I mean, regardless of the fact that I think at that stage we had something crazy like 79% of the possession or something like that. It was something incredibly high. In fact, throughout the whole game, we had 72% of the possession. So it can't have been that. It must be around that sort of ballpark figure. But what, what was it like first half for us? Well, well, in terms of Hugo, it was more they were just able to gain they gained territory quite well with little of the ball. Like there are a few other times, um, Ruben Colwell got on the ball, good player, um, te- technically gifted. And um, I think there's one point that Jimmy Dunn engages too tight to him. He um, he gets away from Dunn and plays Hugo in, and it's what uh, I think he misses miserably wide as a Hugo trademark um, miss, but. Um, in terms of gaining territory and Dun, I felt like Dun got um, too tight to him at times. Hugo, Hugo's not a Hugo's not an idiot when it comes to um, drawing fouls and um, getting free, winning free kicks, and obviously set pieces are a big threat of uh, Cardiff's game. So I thought, in that sense, he did quite well. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then we do strike first, though. Uh, Andre Gray returning to the side as a. F- you know, we, we've said these things in the past as a focal point. You need a striker. You just need someone that's going to stay in the box. You just need a striker in the team and the whole team will work better because, you know, it's a key position. And unless you are a Guardiola, Man City or Barcelona, it's going to be very difficult to play without one and with one or two or three false nines, however you, many you want, take your pick. But it's exactly, I think, what everyone's been wanting, isn't it? He's just in the box and he mops up. And I don't want to, but I do. Well, I, do, I let's blow my own trumpet. Why not? I did mention last week that Cardiff were poor at clearing their lines. And there we go. Yeah, that's, that was exactly that. Um, I mean, firstly, on the on the grade point, for me, um, he get, probably gets into the best positions out of all our strikers. Um, I still think Dykes is the one that, that should start when fit, but um, from the game as a whole, I think he had three, three very um, high quality chances. Um, he just knows when to be in the right um, place at the right time, and that comes with movement and experience. Um, uh, Moses put a very good ball into the box um, on his left foot, yeah. and then, like you said, like you said last week, um, they have some weird, weird inability to um, uh, defend crosses, and then. Great, just in the right place at the right time, and he, he drills it, drills at home. Yeah, it's nice to see Moses. Obviously, a little bit of a resurgence here, putting two lovely balls in for key assists in the last couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, nice to see him doing well. But as I already mentioned, seventy-two percent of the possession, and I'll give you a few other stats that are a little bit unflattering towards us, perhaps eighteen shots in throughout the, the game. Only three of them were on target and we had eight corners. And our XG was 1.85, which is higher than our average, which I believe to be 1.51. So, you know, where where exactly is it going wrong at the moment? Against a side that's at the wrong end of the table, I know you say it, it all blew up in the second half in the space of about five minutes, but looking at that for majority of the game, we're dominating the ball, we're creating most of the shots and the efforts on top I get what's what's happening why why aren't we scoring the goals that whether 
I don't know whether deserve will be the right word or not. Like, why can't we create those clear-cut chances or why aren't we taking them? Um, I think, well, for the context on the XG, um, one, I think it was 1.4 of the 1.8 was from all three of Gray's chances. Um, obviously, you had the one in the second half, which probably could have done better, but I don't think he got his foot, feet right in the... Um, in time to is this the one off well a beautiful through ball. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't he quite of, go with the right foot, does he? No, it's because I think the defender's positioning kind of off um, puts him off for whatever reason, and then obviously he can't see the ball coming in at the same time his feet aren't adjusted in the right position. Um, and then obviously Gray had another one in the first half, which I think Smithy saved. So three, three big quality chances that on another day I'd imagine uh, he puts at least one more away. Um, I don't know. It felt like felt like in the first half we we penetrated through them on the left hand side quite a few times. Uh, I remember Wallace having a chance in the first half. At, I think he he must have hit it wide, um, but I don't know what I don't know in, in terms of the chances. The other chances they probably weren't clear cut enough due to the fact that Cardiff were happy just to sit in um, a lot of the time. But I think. On another day, um, Gray probably scores maybe more than that. Yeah. Um, let's go then to the elephant in the room. Two goals in the space of about five minutes, I think it is. And are we beaten? Like, is it obvious that we're going to be beaten after this point? What, a 2-1 down? Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you'd think so. I mean, options on the bench were fairly slim in terms of attacking options. Um, Cardiff were happy just to literally put 11 men um, well I say put 11 men behind the ball they they did press us very well from um, from our build ups but yeah it didn't really feel like after that especially when Wolverton said the, um, the speed of the play was testimonial um, didn't really feel like another goal was coming Okay, yeah. Um, and then the two goals that Cardiff do score, they, I mean, you know, I have plenty of time for David Marshall, as you all know, but it's unfortunate he doesn't cover himself in glory for either of them. I'd say first one is bad goalkeeping, but I would say the second goal is worse. Like it's on that, it, the way the, the wall is lined up it, to protect the other side I think it is and he's standing quite close to where it goes in and he just doesn't get up enough he doesn't get high enough I mean it could be that it's a really good free kick but I just think if you've been taken on the kick the guy's called his bluff a little bit and pop and put it into the top corner but if you're going to be cool if you're going to be bluffing that way you've got to be able to get up to it surely yeah no I, I think I'm probably going to be a bit come to his defense a bit more than you um the first goal Obviously, I haven't. I've seen. I've watched bits of the game back, but I can't. The camera angle can't tell about Dicky the foul on Dicky or um, where he where he goes to ground. So I don't know. I can't really comment on what happened there. But they um, Davis basically isolates Dunn, beats him, beats him um, for for Dunn's mobility. I know this sounds like I'm slating Dunn here, but one of his weak parts of his game is the the lack of mobility, and he can be beaten when he's flat footed. Um, and then it's like you said, it's a bit of fortune. Um, I don't know. Does Marshall have to react quicker? Um, 
didn't judge the bounce of the ball. I'm not, I'm not too sure what you can say on that one. But the second one, I actually think it's a very good free kick. Uh, I know the distance between him and the ball is probably um, shorter than it us- uh, usually would be on a free kick. But he's he's basically hit the top corner. Um, I, I don't know what what, he, what more you want him to do, really. Um, okay. yeah. we sh- do we concede? We shouldn't really be conceding free kicks in that area in the first place. Um, was it a foul in the first place? I don't think. I don't think it was. Um, I thought it was in the ground, but watching it back, I don't think there's too much on done. He's just won the ball back off him and thrown himself to the floor, um, and then we're kind of kind of isolated. And Dicky just has to has to try and make a um, a foul on him for his strong goal. So it's kind of one of those really. But I don't think personally it was a foul. Okay, yeah. Um, so I guess there's no point getting again worked up over Marshall starting because he's not going anywhere anytime soon, at least. Um, and you know, he's going to be playing for the next month or so by the looks of it. Um, I, I don't know how serious this is, and I haven't actually seen this suggested, but he was a big part of the Scotland squad, obviously, prior to and including the Euros and this sort of falling out of contention with. Um, the fact that he just wasn't playing for Derby mainly being the reason. So you never know, even if he's not up to standard that people are expecting of him, um, he could get a call up off this form, off this these games, because he, he seems to be one of uh, Stevie Clark's favourite players. But just keep an eye on that. I wouldn't be surprised, basically, if he suddenly got a call up for the friendly, I think it is, that they've now got at the end of uh, this month. Um, but anyway, post-match on Twitter, Dan, you bring up uh, a point about the pressing. And you've already mentioned it once already. Cardiff pressed quite well. Just want to talk us through that? Yeah. Um, so it was the substitution Morrison made um, in the 56th minute. So they were already like a... They were more of a 5-3-2. And then um, they changed to a 5-2-3. So they went man-to-man on um, two centimetres. Um and it was a front three against our back three. Now, it, we've had trouble with this against Blackburn and Blackpool when they've had front threes, particularly Blackburn, when we literally struggle with no outball at all. Um, it's too easy to isolate Dunn at the minute and Marshall at times, especially when you go man-to-man. Uh, so when it, when it was Marshall, they'd... Um, they'd use the back pass as a trigger to, to press him and then the other two strikers would would sit on our on our wide centre-backs, so they'd have to force him long. And Greg can hold the ball up, but he's not as good as the out ball as Dykes up top. Um, and then it happened the same with Dunn, um, who just sadly isn't progressive enough on the ball and isn't press-resistant. That's just another one of his weak points. Um, and we again, the, the two wide strikers would sit on or screen the wide um, wide centre-backs, Barbet and Dickey, to prevent access to them and build up. And then Carl Will would just um, sit on one of one of our centre midfielders. And then when the ball went back to Marshall, they'd press him again. Um, and it kind of felt like a, a, a cycle, just rinse, repeat, um, a bit like Blackburn. And then really, we didn't really have another route um, to, to, to go to. So it just kind of felt a constant cycle. So is it as simple as getting Dykes fit quickly as possible and getting back in the team? Or is it? You know, if Dykes isn't, you know, when Dykes isn't playing or they make a tactical decision not to play Dykes, 
what we what have we got to do to make sure that this press isn't so easy to put on us and that we're so susceptible to it all the time because there's you know uh, I hate to sound a bit sort of simplistic about it but there's quite a lot of players out there they've got to be finding a different re a different way of playing around this surely if teams have wisened up to us oh yeah no that, um no I'd agree with that I think it's hard obviously the sim- one of the simple things you could say is change the system that won't happen I know but when you're playing against if you're playing a back four it's rare that there's going to be four attackers probably pressed uh, pressing your back four at one time but that's that's not going to be something that we need to consider um one of the things i suppose is you you bring you bring your whole shape deeper so like you bring the two centimeters deeper and then you might bring and then you push the wing backs back and maybe the tens just to kind of create maybe create space further or more space behind the high line and then try and break with, with Gray um, with a long ball. I suppose that's something you could try. But I just think, obviously, there's an emphasis playing out from the back, playing short with like Dickie, Barbe, Sam Field, Johansson when fit. So there's a clear there's a clear persistence on on playing out from the back and playing short short with short build-ups. So Dykes does give us that dimension um, just to, to retain the ball higher up the pitch so we can we can build attacks from there. Um, but it is something we're going to have to look at because, as we touch on later in the pod, it's going to be another tough test against um, Luton, who will do the exactly the same. And I imagine most teams will. Well, I was going to say, um, like, this is something that you've picked up on a few, a few times. You know, Dunn, it feels like Dunn is getting, I'm sure the stats will back it up. Dunn gets a lot of the ball and he's not progressive enough. Yeah. He just yeah. ends up getting a lot of the ball at the moment. And teams are, I guess, letting that happen. They know that if he's on the ball, it's safer than Dickie or Barbe because Barbe mm-hmm. can ping the diagonal, but Dickie's got the confidence to run out. Dunn is a centre-back. He is literally just a centre-back. And that's not trying to be crit- critical of him, but he's very good at being that. He's our best out-and-out defender. But when he is on the ball, you just know that it isn't quite... It's not quite there. It's going to be a bit more limited in what we can actually do progressively. Yeah, no, teams can teams can set off. Um, that's kind of what Cardiff did in the first half, obviously. Um, in, in fairness to Dunn, he did play a good di- one one good diagonal ball um, that nearly reached on the Badger had it not been intercepted. But when te- even teams that play two strikers against our back three, they're more than happy just to sit on sit on Dickie and Barbe. They don't even have to press per se because. Uh, another another part of perhaps Marshall's game is his distribution probably isn't what well, it, it's it's okay but it's not it's not of a keeper that's naturally good at playing out from the back same same with Dunn on the ball and teams can just can isolate them by letting them have the ball because they know that it's very unlikely that they're going to be able to find a pass that's unless there's clear access um, so teams just stifle us that way which is it's incredibly frustrating but. I don't really know what more we can do to, to stop it at the moment. Yeah. Um, whilst we're on the topic of Jimmy Dunn, he's done an interview with The Athletic. Um, I know you've read it. I read it when, uh, earlier on today. Is there anything from there that stands out for you? Because it, there wasn't really anything that stood out for me, to be honest. No, not really. Um, he said that he thinks he's improved. I think at the end of the piece, it said he thinks he's improved 
positionally and on the ball. Um, that's probably true. Um, I don't think it, when he came into the club that he's particularly he was particularly comfortable on the ball to what he is now. But then, really, what he does on the ball is, for me at least, rather limited in our system. Uh, it just feels like when it gets recycled back to him, it's either backwards or sideways. Um, positionally, I think that's fair. Um, but no, there wasn't really too much to take from at least like a coaching point of view. It was more more a background on his like kind of career, really. Yeah, there wasn't much about what's happening right now. It was uh, it was no. kind of I was a little bit disappointed in that because I kind of hoped for a little bit more insight. Um, the one thing I guess I did pick up on was, I mean, he, we we see it quite a lot from him in his play. He's aggressive and he's passionate, I guess. But the amount of times throughout the piece that he would talk about a coach just sort of shouting at him or whatever. It's sort of like, this is borderline abuse more than anything. <laughs> I, I know it's like motivation, but like, blind, <laughs> this is brutal. Let's be honest, if you've had, if you've had what, John Coleman, uh, Sean Dyche and um, Joey Barton as your three managers before Warburton, it's hard, it hardly screams um, Mr. Nice Guy, does it? No, but did you see that bit about the guy saying like you're a lion you're a lion <laughs> stuff like that it's like oh my god because i like, i think it was one of the akrington stanley uh coaches it, and they were like sort of like roaring at him and stuff like that it oh yeah like, yeah, that was it. yeah yeah this is this is too this is bizarre <laughs> this is i'm not i'm not sure if this qualifies as that's, good that's no that's no that's Neil Bamfield as he goes up. Yeah, yeah, sure. See, I, th- I think um, you need, a, sometimes I guess you need a little bit of that. Of course, the uh, missing Joy device at the moment, and he used, apparently, according to uh, other podcasts, he used to hit his head up against a, one of the locker room doors or something like that before going out. I mean, he it seems about right, doesn't it? You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else that you've want to cover about Cardiff before we move on to Dar- uh, Luton, not Derby? I think I'll touch on the sub very briefly. Um, obviously, there's, there was quite a big outroar on Twitter about it. Um, particularly, I think Hendrick was being uh, told to, like, or being um, suggested that he should have gone off earlier for the Dizel. And that's probably, that is probably, did he, wait, did he come off Hendrick? Sorry. Um, no, Sam Field did. Sam Field did. Um, I'd, I'd have probably brought on Zell a bit earlier. Um, I think if there's anyone from that bench, which is rather limited in my opinion, um, to to probably break through their low block, it'd probably been Dizel. Um, will it bring enough? Will it? I found I did find odd. I know people have this discussion about the sports science and this and everything like that, but five minutes before the end of the game. I don't really think that has anything to do with sports science. And I'm not, I'm sure I struggled to, to, to understand why Amos was on the pitch at the time. Um, I think Wolverton post-match suggested that he made one, one good third man run into the box and then he caught the ball um, and caught contact the ball. But when the team's sitting in like that, is there really space to make them kind of runs that Amos makes, particularly when he's playing as more of a 10? Um, I mean the um the, the the actual bench is Kake, Amos, Bull, McCallum, Dazelle, Adoma, and then uh, the young goalkeeper Mahoney. Obviously, you know, there's no George Thomas there, no Austin. So you're looking at Bull, Dazelle, Amos, three central midfielders, 
obviously they all play different roles, but mm. are you going to be able to shake it up? Not really. Adoma is the only out and out one. The only other sub that I would have perhaps liked to see, I don't, I, obviously I didn't see the game, but if you're going to bring someone on, bring McCallum on for a bit of, yeah. he's, he's, he's going to have more energy. I think, I, th- I don't, it's been brought up. We, we certainly brought it up a few weeks ago and Warburton just isn't listening to it at all, but it's possible that the t- players are getting tired. I think Adoma's dropped off in performance and he's played a lot of minutes at a, relatively late stage in his career from going from playing relative from back practically no football last season to all of a sudden playing nearly every game that's going to take a toll on his body and he hasn't quite been able to do what he did when he first came into the side earlier on in the season so bringing him on I would have, I would have just kept I, I would have brought on McCallum just in, I, I'm not I don't know whether he would have made much of a difference but you know a bit lively He's got a lot of talent, that lad. So, I don't know. That would have been the only one that I'd have thought of instead of what he did. And also, I think they're all 80-minute subs. Or, or, or less. Like That's not enough time to actually make a difference. He, it really is an afterthought a lot of the time with Warburton substitutions. I think um, on the, the... Obviously, the match day squad was not thin, but it was thin in probably quality. Um, but all this, all this talk about... Oh, um, come out if you said we shouldn't assign a strike. Uh, all this, uh, it's, it's a load of rubbish for me. They're injured. We got players injured. We got players out. They're probably ill. Um, Hansen's it was ill. Austin was ill. Dykes is injured. George Thomas wasn't even on the bench to make an impact. That's four players that can make a difference on, on pretty much any given day for me. Um, it's all just it, it's all just their time to. To, to get and bring negativity and stuff like that in. So um, I wouldn't pay attention to any of that. That's not signing a striker or an attacking midfielder is not is not the issue for that, that defeat. Um, it just happened to be that, that, unfortunately, we have players missing on the day. Yeah, I think the whole sort of, they're not taking it seriously. I don't know whether seriously is the right thing. They're not backing Warburton. All this sort of stuff is, uh, I mean, it, it's just bonkers to me because... Uh, if you know where we've been over the last couple of years with financial situations and you look at where Derby are, Reading and a few other clubs, even if you look above us, look at Everton, they're currently looking at a potential points deduction, according to the Daily Mail, I think it was, because of financial fair play rules that they've broken. Um, buying any old player for the sake of it is what got us into that situation. And we've done a really good job of trying to get ourselves out of that. And last season, when we were in a bit of a sticky situation, the club perhaps used a bit of that money to try and keep us in the championship and signing Johansson and Austin on loan. And then also field and device. We've then gone and signed all four of those players permanently alongside two other loanees from the Premier League. And we know for a fact I know you'd like to pretend it because you play FIFA and stuff like that, but loans actually cost money as well. They're not just loan someone in for a year and then that's it. There's loan fees and all this other stuff, potentially fees when you don't play them, if they are playing, whatever. That's all there. So you're bringing in two players from the Premier League. Gray must be on significant wages. McCallum, you'd imagine, would be on more than any of our uh, of our sort of top earners here at the moment. Johansson's now on a permanent deal. He would have taken a pay cut, but still be quite expensive. Same with Austin. 
we I think must have paid off Fulham and uh, West Brom to a certain extent to get them to be released on freeze. So we would have given them some sort of money. It would have been limited, but we would give them some. The point is, is that they spent quite a lot in the summer. Also bringing in Dizel, um, we've bought two strikers recently for quite a lot of money in uh, Macaulay Bond and Lyndon Dykes. The idea that they're not back in Warburton is ludicrous. If in the, in the January transfer window, a certain player was going for a certain price, let's say it was that bloke from Swansea, Patterson or whatever, if they had a budget of a certain amount and Swansea weren't budging on asking for more, but we've not budged on the fact that we don't have that money. <laughs> if the money is not there, what are they going to do? Like, I can only assume that in this situation, if they haven't actually signed someone, it's because they literally don't have the money to do it because they have spent a lot recently. So that, yeah. you know, that whole sort of thing about not backing him, is just doesn't make sense to me. I also think, so this is slightly off topic to what you said, but the strikers, people have said they're not, even people have said Dykes isn't good enough. And it, it makes me laugh because if you want a complete strike at this level, you're not going to get one unless it's, unless the name's Alexander Mitrovic. Um, or, or if you're looking further, you're going for Harry Kane and Romelu Lukaku or Lewandowski, whatever. They're not, you're not going to find a complete striker at this level for, for the money we can spend. Um, of course, of course, Gray has his inconsistencies and his misses. Um, same, same with Dykes and Austin can go missing in games with a pop with a goal. But I, I, I don't get what more, what more they want. Um, they, yeah, I just find it, I just find it baffling that they think we can, we can get better for for what for what we already have. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the striker position is one of the most inflated positions price wise. Going out there, um, you know, one of the probably best championship strikers from the last couple of seasons, uh, Kiefer Moore, barely scored any goals this season, has he? Like, and he went for a significant sum two seasons last season to Cardiff. So, you know, you don't quite know what you're going to get. You have to take a hell of a lot of risks with strikers in our league before you actually, you know, go on and find one that's actually quite good Dykes has proved to be quite good enough when he's fit um, and when he's given proper service and when he comes back I imagine that we will see uh, a marked improvement in our performance just for having him up top well I mean Dykes is what started 20 games a season scored 8 goals I think I looked at his average and over, an, over a season if he played a full season he'd average 18 goals a season which is Whatever he clubs after a fifteen to twenty goal striker. Um, mm. Unfortunately, injuries have uh, scuppered that. But again, you're not going to sign. We signed Sam Phil with a bad injury record. If he didn't have a bad injury record, I don't think we'd have signed him. Um, yeah, quite right. You've got, you've got you've got to take you've got to take gambles with these players, and we can't we can't expect this perfect complete player um, that's going to arrive. We have to we have to buy players that are raw and mould them, um, like Willock, like Chair, like Eze. We did. Um, I just find it very baffling that uh, the impatience of some of our fan base um, when when we've only just dropped out of the playoffs in what several several I don't know when the last it's, time it's we were quite, up the playoffs. it's like it's the first time we've been outside of the playoffs since like 
the second month of the season or something like that. We've been in yeah. there like throughout. We've had bad spells and we've had very good spells. We've won games we should have lost, perhaps, but that's what playoff teams do, isn't it? That's the old, the old adage that a team that will get do well or get promoted will find a way to get a draw or a win from a difficult situation. We've done that often enough this season, I think. Now, when we're coming to a point where we're a bit in, in a bit of a sticky patch, to be fair, um, you know, all of a sudden it's the end of the world because we've dropped out from for a couple of games perhaps we've got a great chance on the weekend to go back into the playoffs and if we don't we don't if we do we do it's you know I, I I think that what we've shown is that there's improvement and there's you know the, the there's more sensibleness with signings and stuff like that like Dykes like finding Jimmy Dunn on a free I mean that that is a fantastic piece of business even if it is to believe in the athletic article that no one wanted him. Um, <laughs> we've gone and found him and he's turned out to be a pretty good signing. Um, we have got a bit off topic there from Cardiff, but was is that everything for Cardiff, Dan? Perfect. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so uh, we'll move on to Luton next. Right. So now we have the opportunity to move on to Luton and... Uh, Let's start with what we can expect from them. And I'll hand you over to our resident Luton expert, Dan Lambert, for some explanations on Luton Town. Um, well, firstly, um, pre- pretty much their main their main style of play is a high press um, with intensity and quite a, di- quite a direct style of play. Um, obviously, the likes of Elijah Adebayo, who I imagine most most people will know well. Um, his development has been quite impressive since he signed for them. Um, basically, they like to play a lot of direct balls um, to him and then flick on from there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a brief summary. But, um, they're going to be a threat to us regardless because, let's be honest, our ability against, against presses, like I've probably said all year, um, and of, of late is going to be going to be interesting. Yeah, so uh, they moved above us in the table on Tuesday night with a one 0 away win against Coventry. And uh, looking at their form, February was a pretty good month for them. With them claiming fifteen points from a possible eighteen, their only loss was at uh, th- was it three 0 away to Birmingham, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Away was, to Birmingham, which I guess is quite unexpected, but one. Uh, one win away from the perfect month. They also took Chelsea quite far, a strong Chelsea side, it must be said, in the FA Cup quite recently as well. So, you know, we've, we've touched on it a few times, but Nathan Jones is obviously a manager that you have plenty of time for. What is it about him and the style of play that he's brought to Luton that you're so fond of? Um, big, the big, big thing, the reason I like him is... He's very adaptable. Um, obviously, when he was appointed there, um, they were in League Two. Um, kind of implemented his style, more possession-based, nice football. Um, obviously, they got promoted into League One and they won that league before he left. Um, obviously, there's the there's the elephant in the room about him going to Stoke and coming back. But he came back to Luton. Um 
against tough odds, kept them up into the in the division on the last day of the season. Um, and he's just been able to to adapt really to to the championship, play a bit more of a direct style. Um, I like I generally like pressing teams anyway. Um, you know, he he's normally pretty much game by game, tactically spot on in games, um, which something Warburton probably can't always can't always um, have to his name. But no, I just think he's a good manager, good character, and um, I mean, what they're I think they've still got a League One budget at the Championship level, and they're in the top six at the minute, which is ridiculously punching with their weight. So I think he's a very good manager, in my opinion. So you don't think they're just this season's Barnsley? No, no, because they what they 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 kept themselves up in the first year with him, and then I think they finished twelfth last season, which is quite a big dip. Uh, not dip, sorry, big big rise and. They're now in the in the hunt for playoffs. So I think they, I don't think there's been a season in the last five or six where they haven't made progress. Um, so I think it's just it's a sustainable model, and a, and I, who knows what's going to happen in the future. But no, I think they're a well they're they're, they're a well run club. Unfortunately, it has to has to be said. And in the future, if we were to move Warburton on, would Jones be at the top of your list of? dream managers to have at the club or is it you know in in reality we'd probably have to it's not like the current crop of players could sort of start playing his style of football tomorrow it would be it would take a bit of an overhaul wouldn't it yeah no I don't think that's something that's probably going to happen both with the rivalry with um started play like you said in the squad um I just like him as a manager in general uh, there's a few managers in this division I quite like Wolves included but um yeah, no, I don't think that's going to be something that, that happens anytime, anytime soon. Okay, so you mentioned him already, Elijah Adebayo. 13 goals in 30 championship appearances. He scored last night, I believe, against Coventry. Uh, have you seen the goal from last night? No, no. Have you? Uh, yeah, well, I was, I was watching it just before we come on and I was kind of struggling to work out if it's poor keeping or a good finish. It's a very tight angle. Um and it was it just comes it comes from a long ball. Played out yeah. from played out from their goalkeeper straight up to Adebo and he's uh he's away. And it, I'll probably give it I'll give him credit because it's a very tight angle. But from the highlights, it looked like Coventry played well enough to get something from that game, and they might be a little bit disappointed. Obviously, that's a bit of a familiar story from when we played them. They have plenty of opportunities and can't score a goal. Um so not really much to read into there. Another player that has scored a few goals for them, Harry Cornick, nine goals in 27 games, I believe. Um, is there anyone else that you would look out for in particular? Um, the midfield two are um, intense, energetic. Uh, Alan Campbell and Pelly Raddock and Panzu. They're, they're probably, if you describe them, um, they're probably would be described as kind of pressing machines, um, intense running, especially Campbell. Um, he's a good good player. Um, the wing backs are quite quite good in the system. Uh, James Bree, probably their most one of their um, most creative assets in the inside. And um, Cal Naismith has taken um, a very a very big um, rise in form this season. I think he he can play all over the park really, um, but he's kind of found a 
a kind of stable position at, at centre half for, for Luton. Um, so he's definitely one of their better players this season. Yeah. Um, mentioning Adebayo again, his goal, no, his assist, sorry, for Cornick's goal against Borough. They lost 2 1, but I was very impressed by that. He brought it down, lovely, really nice touch, and then a bit of a nice bit of footwork to get around this player and squares it, and, you know, Cornick can't miss. So would, you, would it be fair to say that Adebayo probably will be the focus? He's going to start, I imagine, will be the main danger for us on Sunday? Um, yeah, I'd probably say so in the sense that he'd be the he'd be the apple, he'd be the direct target. Obviously, Luton, it's not it's not always pretty at times, their football, but it's for the budget, for the squad, it's effective, it's efficient, and they gain territory, territory well to attack to attack sides through Adebayo. So I'd probably say he'd probably be one of the main obvious threats, but I think there's still probably some threats. Well, there's going to be threats all over the pitch, really. Yeah. Um, but they one area they may be slightly weak in is the goalkeeper because they it was Sluger they had in goal for majority of the season, wasn't it? And then did he leave in January? He left in January, then they brought in Jed Steer on loan, but he got injured in the Chelsea game. And now they brought in last week, ahead of the Borough game, Alex Palmer on loan, on an emergency loan. Yeah, um, he made his debut against Borough and he didn't look... Now, apparently he made a mistake in the Borough game, but he made up for that mistake in the Coventry game, apparently played quite well. Yeah. Um, so I imagine he's going to be... I imagine he's still there for, for Sunday and he'll be playing. Yeah, I'd I'd expect him to be uh, starting. The mistake you're talking about, he concedes a goal at the front post. It's just sort of basic goalkeeping. But you're right, he does make a few good saves in that game um, against Coventry last night. So let's look at us then. What what are we going to need to do to improve? Let's start with the lineup. Then uh, mention a few players out of the side. If you, we're assuming that uh, Austin and Johansson are fit again from their illness, let's say that. McCallum, let's say he's fit to start and we're unsure about Dyke. So we may, we, we, I think we would know that we would like to have him starting if he was fit. But if Dykes isn't fit, what are you doing? Uh, great, great for sure. Um, I think it's going to be a quite a high intense High intense game generally anyway, a lot of running. Um, so I think Gray could find space in the channels where he where he likes to operate. Um, as a as a lineup, obviously back three the same keeper. I think I keep Moses in. I think form does, he deserves it, and also I think just his athletic athletic ability anyway uh, is going to be quite key in this game. Uh, as like I said earlier, there's going to be quite a lot of, of running throughout the game, throughout the 90. So I think him and probably Wallace who will likely um, start so on the like left. Albert then. The left. Probably not. Um, I think I'd bring him off the bench. I just think Wallace, Wallace and the Doma, I just feel there's going to be a slight threat that we're going to get overrun by both wingbacks. Um, so that's, uh, I don't know, is it, is it unfair on... Um, a doma, possibly. I don't think. I don't think it's unfair. Obviously, he had a great start to the season, or well, not a great start, but he had a great period not that long ago, probably around Christmas and just earlier than that. You know, when we played Blackburn as well at home, 
that was when he was probably at the peak of his powers. But I do think there's something to be said for him just playing so so many minutes and perhaps reaching a bit of a wall. Don't know. I think I think Moses. I think Moses definitely warrants a, a start. I don't think he's done much much wrong in the last however many games he's he's played him. Um, and then obviously midfield for me, there'd be no question it's Johansson and, and Field. Um, and then it'll be chair, chair Willock, and like we said, Dykes if he's fit. I think, I think we are going to need him. Um, I made a joke. I think I've uh, sarcastically said that we might need to play him if he doesn't have a limb or whatever. But um, I think he's just going to be quite crucial in terms of resisting the press and going a bit longer um, because they are going to press as well, and I don't think they're going to give us much room in in build-up like the last three games teams have. Yeah. Any, would you be tempted at all to have Austin return to the starting lineup? Three Last three games against Luton, he scored in all three of them. He seems to have them worked out. No, nah, not for me. Um, I mean, those those games, all right, he scored, um, like you said, three and three, and three but um, I don't, those games don't really um, indicate anything to, to the game on Sunday. They're just three games in isolation already. But no, especially from an illness, I don't think he's played many minutes in the tank uh, of late. So he's probably not going to be up to it for for a long period of time uh, in, in game game wise. So no, I'd, I'd have Dykes if not Query. Okay. And uh, I'm just going to mention this. Uh, and the, well, one of the reasons I bring it up is because you know it's obviously going a bit stale at the moment. Um, the wrong players end up on the ball, perhaps, and the team seems to be zapped of confidence and ideas. Um, and the fact that your brother brought this up as well. Would you go to a four-three-three, Dan? Um, my brother's going to kill you for calling him out because um, he listens to the pod. Um, he raised a valid point, I think. Would, would you would no, we no, be no. making a formation change? There's nothing nothing wrong about that no. at all. No, I um no, I definitely wouldn't. Um purely on the basis that well, we're 11, 10, 11 games to go. Um don't have the time on the training pitch to to train. All right, you can, people can say, Oh yeah, but they're professional footballers, they should be as adapt to the system. It's not as easy as that. Um and if we lose, if we lose in a four three three on on Sunday, everyone's going to be calling calling warps out again anyway. So, um, no, I wouldn't change to a four three three. I'd stick to to how it is. Um, yeah, no, I don't, don't don't think there's any drastic need for a, for a system change. Yeah, I would probably agree with you. Um, you know, we've we've done well enough with this five at the back, and the the players are used to it. Maybe they're a little bit too sort of comfortable in it, and things maybe could be shaken up a bit. But I would love to see Hanson and Field start as a two again. I just think we're so much better playing them, and like we've said before, Johansson controls games, and I think we're more sorry. progressive with him. I think it's worth noting. I don't know. People can check it out if they if they haven't already. But um, I think it's at QPR Analytics um, put up a graph or, or data, um, some data about our most creative players per 90 this season. Um, 
obviously there's some skewed skewed this was from a few games ago wasn't it this was before blackburn or wasn't it yeah yeah i think it's before blackburn um so obviously there's been a few games since then yeah of course of course um there's a few there's a few examples where the sample size is too small to really take notice like probably like dizel hendrick um he probably haven't played enough minutes to to really um look at that properly but it was no surprise to me in particular who's not really um been critical of Johansson um this season, which some might might take that by surprise, but he's the most creative player per ninety, um, in a deeper role than Sharon Willock. Um and there's still people saying for a most creative player of the in the team to to be dropped for Jeff Hendrick. So um I haven't really got much much more than that to say. I think our views on Stephanie Hansen are perfectly clear. And unless you've got anything else to say, I think that's the end of this week's episode. Yeah, um, one, one thing on the Luton lineup I want to mention. Um, okay, go ahead. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jones change it up a little bit. Um, and I, I can see him definitely starting with three strikers from the off. Um, so it'd be more of a three, three, four, three. Um, I could see him playing... Adebayo, Cornick and Musque, just for purely on the basis that they'll go man-to-man anyway against our centre-backs. And then obviously with the pressing, press, um, good pressing structures, I can see them dropping one of the one of the strikers onto Field or, Field or Johansson or Hendrick or whoever's playing um, and really stopping us in build-up. So I think that's something to look, look out for. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jones um, add a bit of flexibility in his in his side that maybe he didn't have in midweek. Okay, so that is it for this week's episode. Please make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to on the platform right now so you can get the latest episode as soon as possible. Also, give myself and Dan a follow on Twitter. I can be found at AlexBullamore3 and Dan can be found at DanLambert underscore. Also, Dan, you have your tactical analysis, analysis substack. How can people find that? Uh, you can search it up, but I don't think it's visible on Google. So it'd be on my, um, it's on my Twitter account linked on my bio. Okay. And lastly, if you're not following Art Generation Net on Twitter, then why aren't you? Go do that right now as soon as you stop listening to this episode. So till next time, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoy the episode and come on, you ours.